Well, you're familiar with the book of Philemon. I trust you're, you're familiar with the occasion as um, Onesimus, the runaway slave, leaves Philemon uh, and his household, this wealthy landowner of the Colossian church. In fact, the Colossian church uh, finds residence in Philemon's home and Onesimus runs away to Rome. His life is forfeit effectively, and he encounters the ministry of the Apostle Paul as he's seeking to find quarter there in Rome. And uh, a runaway slave who abandoned his charge uh, now finds new life in the Lord Jesus Christ, and he's being sent back to Colossae with Tychicus with letter in hand to Philemon. And you can imagine, of course, how weighty, how heavy of a matter that is, a one whose life is forfeit to go back before his master and effectively cast himself on either law, he doesn't know what he'll receive, or grace, casting himself on grace. And if we do not see a picture of our status and do not see a picture of the gospel in that, we miss the tapestry of such a setting of this book. But uh, before we consider the particulars of Philemon of uh, verses 1 through uh, 22 is what we will take up. Um, consider Colossians uh, just a moment, uh, the end of Colossians as we see the context there. So as Paul writes to the entire church in Colossians chapter 4, he initially writes to slaves and masters, to bondservants and masters, and how rich of language that would uh, involve for such a setting as this, for such a context as this. But then uh, notice verse 7 as we see some of the context of the book of Philemon. All my state shall Tychicus declare unto you, who is a beloved brother and a faithful minister and fellow servant in the Lord, whom I have sent unto you for the same purpose, that he might know your estate and comfort your hearts with Onesimus, a faithful and beloved brother who is one of you. And pausing there for a moment, how pregnant of language that is in such a situation. He left not a faithful brother. He left, yes, one of you as a Colossian, but not one of you. Departing from you, not one of you. Now coming back, faithful and beloved, who is one of you. And then he goes on, they shall make known unto you all things which are done here. Aristarchus, my, I'm, I'm sorry, I'll stop there at verse 9. But then looking over at verse 17 of the same chapter, and say to Archippus, take heed to the ministry which thou hast received in the Lord, that thou fulfill it. Uh, so that's significant context as well, because Archippus, the pastor, is greeted as among the household of Philemon in the opening verses of Philemon. So we have uh, Philemon, Aphia, and Archippus, and it seems as though Paul is addressing them as a singular household. So we have uh, the man and his wife, Philemon and Aphia, and their son, Archippus, most likely, uh, who is also the pastor. And this church meets in their home. Uh, how weighty of, of a, a situation of circumstances for Onesimus to go back into. Uh, that not only is there this earthly authority of master and bond servant, but also ecclesiastical authority as well. So then let's give our attention to Philemon beginning in verse 1. 
Paul, a prisoner of Jesus Christ, and Timothy, our brother, unto Philemon, our dearly beloved and fellow laborer. Notice how Paul addresses himself here. He does not begin in an authoritative way. He doesn't say Paul the apostle. He doesn't say Paul the aged apostle, as he'll refer to himself later as aged, uh, and that, that's significant when we get there, but he doesn't appeal to any authority here. Paul, a prisoner of Jesus Christ, he's placing himself at the outset, shoulder to shoulder with Philemon, brother to brother. He's appealing to a brother. He's not in any way engaging in command authority as he, as he appeals to this one to consider <laughs> receiving Onesimus in grace. And notice how he addresses Timothy as well. Timothy, our brother. Elsewhere, he refers to Timothy as, as a son. But even that, he's uh, leveling out here in a way to communicate shoulder to shoulder. And then he goes on in verse 2, and to our beloved Aphia and Archippus, our fellow soldier, and to the church in thy house. So again, as he's uh, greeting here, greeting in the entire church, uh, this, this would be read in the hearing uh, of the church as it's recognized as Holy Scripture. And just as the book to the Colossians would be read in the hearing of all, so too this, as he's uh, addressing to the church in thy house, uh, how he could manipulate such a situation how he could publicly embarrass, how he could publicly call out. Uh, again, if he were to appeal to authority, if he were to use his pleading in an underhanded way or a coercive way, how, how inappropriate that would be. And that is not what Paul is doing at all, as he is pleading with this brother to consider, of course, receiving in grace and mercy Onesimus. And then verse 3, grace to you and peace from God our Father, and the Lord Jesus Christ. Typical greeting. But again, he's recognizing that all are under the banner of the gospel. I, Paul, under the same banner of the gospel as you, Philemon and Aphia and Archippus, oh, and so too Onesimus. We are standing together under the same gospel. And, and here's the one who's, who's holding the letter out to them, as it were, right? Onesimus, uh, the slave, under the same banner of the gospel. Verses four and five. I thank my God, making mention of thee always in my prayers, hearing of thy love and faith, which thou hast toward the Lord Jesus and toward all the saints. A sincere statement. Uh, Paul is in no way engaging in underhanded uh, argumentation here. It's, it's not sarcastic in any way. He's, he's not speaking ironically. That would undermine the veracity of the scriptures if he was uh, speaking in a way just to butter Philemon up to do the right thing. <laughs> this, is this is sincere. He sincerely thanks God, making mention of him always, hearing of how he refreshes the saints. And then he goes on, verse 6, that the communication of thy faith may become effectual by the acknowledging of every good thing which is in you in Christ Jesus. For we have great joy and consolation in thy love because the bowels of the saints are refreshed by thee, brother. You have an effective faith, Philemon. 
You bring much joy and much comfort from your love to the churches. You refresh the hearts of all the saints. And it's effectively, Paul is saying, I'm just desiring you to continue to excel still more in what I already know that you do. A prayer for more faithfulness, more thankfulness, more encouragement, more refreshment of the brethren, if you will. It's like Paul argues elsewhere as he speaks to the Philippians or he speaks to the Thessalonians. I know you already do this. I just want you to excel still more effectively what he's saying here as he's pleading for Onesimus, his son in the faith. Verse eight, wherefore, though I might be much bold in Christ to enjoin thee that which is convenient yet, I'm not going to read verse nine yet, but pausing, there's a pregnant pause there. He's saying, I could command you. I could, as an apostle, I could appeal to authority. As the one who is older, as one who is given this apostolic authority, as one who's on the side of truth, as the one who's calling you to do what is right, I could command you to do the desire of the Lord Jesus Christ. But again, in sincerity, I'm not coercing, I'm not doing that. Yet, for love's sake, verse 9, I rather beseech thee being such an one as Paul the aged and now also a prisoner of Christ Jesus. I could pull the apostle card, but I'm not going to do so. I'm going to plead. I'm going to appeal. I'm going to shepherd. I'm going to guide. I'm going to lead. And friends, as we go out into pastoral ministry, as we shepherd the flock, as we care for those under our stead and under our charge, if any have received any authority, there's always that temptation crouching at the door to assert our authority, to command, to blast, to pound the pulpit, to really let them have it. And we must counsel our heart never to do so, that we would prayerfully govern our words, that we would plead with souls, that we would not invoke authority, even though we have been delegated and given authority in such situations, but instead to plead, to come alongside, to shepherd, to woo, if you will. And when Paul says that I am the aged and I am, in a, and a, I am a prisoner, that could be manipulative as well of plucking the heartstrings of Philemon of, oh, come on, I'm just so old, I'm so aged and I'm suffering here. Please do what is right. But that's not what he's, he's doing here. There's no undercurrent of, of deceptiveness. As a prisoner for the gospel, have, have I not received your rightful hearing? Have I not earned respect to be heard? As an aged one who has gray hairs, have I not earned the right by age, if you will, to be heard? Would you hear me? Again, it's not a plea, it's not a, a command authority, but a pleading and a sincerity of such. And then verse 10, I beseech thee for my son Onesimus, whom I have begotten in my bonds. Philemon is converted. And how is Paul appealing for him? Receive him as my son, my very son. And how does he speak of, of others, uh, speaking of Timothy and Titus, uh, as, as true children in the faith? And he's pleading for Onesimus in such a capacity. Verse 11, which in time past was to thee unprofitable, but now profitable to thee and to me. You know the meaning of Onesimus' name, of course. Useful. 
And as he ran away, as he stole from you, as he departed Philemon, he became useless to you. He was not according to his namesake. And now in his converted state, he is useful to you and also to me. Don't we know people that we think, oh, if they would just bow the knee to King Jesus, how useful they would be for the kingdom. Uh, wasting or squandering their natural talents and abilities and personality and character and think, oh, how useful they'd be for the kingdom if they would only bow the knee. And here is the case with Onesimus and how useful he is. And even the apostle Paul would desire uh, to keep him with himself. He goes on in verse 12, uh, whom I have sent again, thou therefore receive him. That is more my own bowels. Uh, here's my very heart I'm sending to you. I'm sending him back to you. I, I didn't want to send my very heart, if you will, <laughs> but I do because that's the right thing to do. Verse 13, whom I would have retained with me that in thy stead, he might have ministered unto me in the bonds of the gospel. Oh, I would have loved to have kept him here how useful he is to the purposes of the kingdom. Uh, he's, he's served faithfully in his time here. Oh, I'd love to have him here. Verse 14, but without thy mind, would I do nothing that thy benefit should not be as it were of necessity, but willingly. I don't want you to do anything by compulsion, Philemon. I could have kept him here for the service of the gospel. I could have just sent a letter back and saying how useful he is. Please forgive his debt and so forth. I've not done that because I don't want anything to be done by uh, command authority or by compulsion, but out of your free will as a, a free volitional agent, please do what is best for the kingdom out of your own good will. Verse 15, for perhaps he therefore departed for a season that thou shouldest receive him forever. Notice how Paul doesn't presume on providence here. If, if ever a time he could have presumed on providence and assumed that something was for a particular case, like, well, he departed for a time so that he'd get converted, so that he'd come back, so that he'd labor for the gospel. If ever it was clear, uh, he could say such, but he's, he's very cautious. He's, he's ever so cautious not to presume upon providence. Perhaps this is the very reason why he ran away, that he might get converted, that he might come back. And so I think that there's a lesson for us, friends, uh, as far as not presuming upon providence or, or assuming too much, reading providence. We, we read providence in our journals, <laughs> not ahead of time, right? Not discerning somehow, divining ahead of time. Verse 16 not now as a servant, but above a servant, a brother beloved, especially to me, but how much more unto thee, both in the flesh and in the Lord. Again, if this were manipulative, if this were underhanded, if this were coercive, he's really pouring it on the thick now. But even this in reality and in sincerity, if you're angry at him, he's a brother. Treat him as a brother. <laughs> I'm a counselor. So Oftentimes I find myself engaging in marriage counseling and the spouses view one another as enemies. Now oh, she's my enemy. He's my enemy. Well, even if you view them as your enemy, you still have to love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. So even if such is the case, uh, he's, he's a brother here. We can't view him as, as an enemy. In verse 17, if thou count me therefore a partner, receive him as myself. What strong words. How would the apostle, freed from prison, be received by Philemon and his household in the church? Well, we see later on in verse 22, 
roll out the red carpet, prepare the guest room for me, slaughter the fatted calf, if you will, you know, as it were. Uh, that's how you would receive me. And I'm asking you, Philemon, here's the request. Here finally is the request. After, after all of this pleading, after building up to this point, here is what he was driving toward. Would you receive this brother as you would receive brother Paul, apostle Paul? And verse 18, if he hath wronged thee or oweth thee aught, put that on mine account. If there's any debt, then I will pay it. Have you thought about how the Apostle Paul would pay it? Imprisoned Apostle Paul, who has no means to provide for himself, how would he pay the debt if Philemon says, I'm not going to engage in grace and mercy. Instead, I'm going to require the specific of the law. <laughs> it would be out of the storehouses of the ministry expense. It would be from the, the gathering of the tithes and offerings of the churches that uh, was caring for Paul and caring for the ministry. If you really demand it, I'm good for it. The ministry is good for it. It will pay it. And it's, it's sincere. And then verse 19, I, Paul, have written it with mine own hands. I will repay it. Albeit, albeit, I do not say to thee how thou owest unto me even thine own self besides. You know how hard it is for Paul to write in his own hand, as he says elsewhere, right? Uh, note how large the letters are. I write in my own hand. He's, he's writing this in his own hand to demonstrate the sincerity, as if we've been arguing all along, the veracity of the, the statements of the Apostle Paul. I will sincerely pay this debt if you require it, Philemon. Oh, also not to mention the fact that you owe me your very soul. <laughs> and again, we can hear that as underhanded and coercive and manipulative, yeah, I brought the gospel to you, Philemon. You are my child in the faith, if you will. But I'm not, going to, I'm not going to appeal to that in an underhanded way. He mentions it, but again, in sincerity. He's not invoking it in a way to place himself over Philemon and demand it. It's a glancing reminder, if you will. And then verse 20, Yea, brother, let me have joy of thee in the Lord. Refresh my bows in the Lord. Would you do what I already know you do regularly with the saints? You refresh the saints. It's a callback to that earlier reference. And then verse 21, having confidence in thy obedience, I wrote, um, I wrote unto thee, knowing that thou wilt also do more than I say. This isn't a winking at Philemon. This isn't a... a, a I'm just saying what I'm trying to elicit from you. He knows Philemon's heart. I know that you will get creative, dear brother, in your mercy and in your kindness and in your goodness and your refreshing the saints. You'll do more even than I'm asking here regarding Onesimus. If, if more could even be conceived, he's saying, I know that your reception of him will be a picture of the beautiful, lavish gospel even more than I have been pleading for up until this point. And then verse 22, which we've already mentioned, but with all prepare me also a lodging for I trust that through your prayers, I shall be given unto you. What granular particular application of the apostle Paul and his writings. This is not waxing puritanical, if you will. This is particular application to present circumstances and present needs. 
And oh, oh, how applicable the word of God is to us in our circumstances. That as we hear the word and we, we know it is rightly applied to us, how our, our hearts burn in those applications, not only as we hear Christ, but as Christ is applied to our particular circumstances and understanding that granular application to our lives, it fuels outreach and fuels evangelism to say, Come, hear one who tells me everything I've ever done, like the woman at the well when she says, come, hear this Messiah. Or Andrew, as he goes to uh, his brother, Simon Peter, come, we found the Messiah. Oh, when we know that the scriptures speak to us in such uh, particularity, oh, we want to tell others about it. Come, hear a God who knows all of me. And friends, how is this applied as it's applied to Philemon and his family in the church, so winsomely, so beautifully, so evocatively as, as he's pleading for souls. And friends, how is it that we offer Christ? How is it that we hold forth the excellencies of the scriptures? How is it that we hold forth, forth the excellencies of the gospel from the pulpit or from our evangelism or from our teaching? Do we do so in a way that commands authority that if you do not bow in absolute submission, or do we freely offer the lavish grace of the Lord Jesus Christ? And friends, how is it that you have learned Christ? That he conquer you uh, in the sense that you came angry to such a one? Or did you see the beauty of the Lord Jesus Christ held out to you? And it was so obvious and so clear. Of course, I trust in this one. This one who would lay down his very life for me and take it back up again for me. And how is it, friends, that we shepherd souls? Do we do so with command authority, lording it over our people, as is the case with the Gentiles? And such shall not be so among you. Or do we serve and wash feet and come alongside of and labor long with and plead? Friends, I believe that the Apostle Paul is an example to us and even a picture of how we have learned Christ and how Christ has wooed us to himself and how we are volunteers in the day of his power, as Psalm 110 says. And should we not shepherd Likewise, and friends, how is it that the Lord Jesus Christ rebuked his followers on that uh, great and grave night in which he was betrayed when they couldn't wait and watch with him for but one hour? How stinging was his rebuke or how gentle? Could you not wait for but one hour? <laughs> Come, my betrayer is at hand. How have you learned Christ, friends? How is it that he shepherds your soul? And how is it that we lead and shepherd souls under our stead? Will you graciously lead men and women, boys and girls, unto this glorious Lord Jesus Christ? May it be so. Let's pray together. Our Father and our God, how we thank you for the tenderness of our shepherd. And how we thank you for one who is like him, who says, follow me as I follow Christ. Thank you for this tender example of the apostle Paul the aged, who pleads with us as brothers. And Father, may we plead with souls in much the same way, 
thank you for how we indeed have learned Christ. And may we tutor others in the same way in which we've learned him. We pray in Christ's name. Amen.